at Real Estate Right, we are giving a general overview of all things real estate. And one part of it, which we haven't done yet, but is still under the real estate banner, is buying a business. Many people start a business, but many also buy an existing business. So today, we're going to help those who want to get out of the nine to five grind and help them be their own boss with some helpful tips on buying a business. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent, and invest right. Your host is Sue Langda. Real copyright writes all types of copy for the real estate industry. We write sales copy, rental copy, Airbnb copy, commercial property copy, business copy, market update blogs, staff profiles, marketing letters, and website material. If you want quality copy fast, call us on 5977-889 to find out how real copyright copy makes you money. A business owner in a previous life, owning businesses in hotels, accommodation, restaurants and service stations, Phil Mamolito from CRE Brokers is an experienced business owner turned business broker, helping people understand the benefits of owning established businesses throughout Victoria and Tasmania. Here to explain the business basics to our Real Estate Right listeners, welcome Phil, how are you today? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, great, thank you. Thanks for coming on. No worries. From our intro, um, explain that you know you you were a business owner and you turned to a business broker. So how did that come about? So basically, yeah, I'd um, had my own hotel and we'd sold that and through the process um, we'd, uh, we mainly were selling this because we had a young family and the wife didn't like the environment, you know, to bring the children up in. So we decided put the hotel on the market and from that process it was like okay well what am I going to do next you know like um you know hospitality is all we'd ever done and um and so yeah it was hang on well, I think that this could work so from that process of selling a business I um yeah put the shoes on and started selling businesses so um yeah, yeah that's how it all happened that's how it happened so how many years ago was that uh, 12 years ago now. 12, yep. So yeah, you're, yeah. Um, you're basically a fully-fledged business broker now, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, we still have um, a motel, so we still okay. double back in and run a motel as well. We've got under management, so we yeah. still keep the best of both worlds. Yep, sounds good. It's nice to have a finger in all the different pies just to, you know, it, it basically gives you integrity, doesn't it, that, you know, you're preaching what you're um, yeah, trying to yeah. say. And it's very good because you know, we're able to assist the buyers right through from the day of settlement. If they've never owned a motel before, we can assist them in teaching them to a you know, hospital corner on a bed or yeah. how to service the room. And so, you know, all our brokers come from a hospitality background of owning or still own a venue um, mm-hmm. from hotels, pubs. So we, you know, or, so we come from being able to help our clients right through to the end and you know they ring us for advice you know two years later you know yeah which is great great to have that service yeah now so explain to us if you are buying a business what are you actually buying 
So if buying just buying a business, you're buying the the brand, the intellectual property, the the rights to the business. So basically, you're just not buying everything but the bricks and mortar, you know. So you're just buying the the business that you're able to run and operate. Yeah, sounds good. So now there's usually a lot of business word jargon in the business ads. So explain a few of them to us. What's the difference between leasehold and freehold? So leasehold is where you are just buying the business and you're normally renting your premises. You have exclusive rights to the premises paying rent and freehold is where you're buying the building. You're actually buying the land and the building in which um, sits on it and the space above it. So you're owning the entirety in freehold. So when you own the building, you're also owning the, the business in the building. Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. Yep. If it's a freehold going concern, correct. Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. So what's the difference between a franchise and a standalone business? So basically a franchise is where you're very well supported, you pay franchise fees, you've got your back of house support, um, and you're working under a you know, under the banner of whatever that franchise is. Um, where if you're just buying your own business you're completely independent from everyone and you're doing it everything yourself you don't have any back of house support but you know you don't you're not reporting or meeting the criteria of a franchise so basically you are standalone independent in owning your own business other than a franchise yeah so essentially that back of house support is so important because you know, essentially, you're create. If you don't have it, you have to create your own systems. It might be your systems in, you know, booking. It might be your system in um, training your staff. It might be your system in your IT support and network. There's all these tiny little aspects of that back of house support that you have to create your own if it's a standalone business. And that's exactly right. Like you know, right, like you said, from the, any you know, any computer systems or technology they might have from running the social media that, you know, you wouldn't have to worry about if you're standalone, you know. Yeah. Um, but then there's people out there that want to stand alone that don't, you know, don't necessarily like that they don't have the full control of everything within their own business. Like some people feel that they are, you know, that they're, you know, bound by, by the franchise agreement and you know people don't like paying franchise fees so it's really where you're more comfortable you know um so you know, it's, you know sometimes it works for some and not for others you know so yes. it's really a personal choice of what you've got to work out what works for you and your needs mm, yes those systems putting them in place like that's just another headache in itself isn't it yeah and that's just realizing how important those systems are and that's what we say to new business owners put those systems in straight away don't wait till the business is growing and then you're trying to get systems in because you find out you end up just working in the business as nearly an employee to yourself um, not working on the business so we see that so often yeah i'm sure you do now what is goodwill because some people the the business comes with goodwill and you're just like oh well what's that yeah, so basically um, in a sale, in a, you'll have a, there's two components of a sale price. And one is the plant and equipment and the other is goodwill. And so the goodwill is bas- basically an intangible asset associated with the purchase of the business. So whether that is, um, so where the price is higher, 
than the plant and equipment, that's where the goodwill is. And that could be for the intellectual property, the um, a strong database, the great branding, a business name, um, strong contracts that are in place for long-term, um, you know, long-term staff, all of that stuff that creates goodwill in the business. So it, it covers everything like that um, and basically is a way that um, that the way that they describe anything over the price of the asset that you're buying. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, that is generally what the business is, isn't it? It's It's all of that hard work you've put into it. Yeah, and that's right, because that's why we quite often see it where people go, well, why don't I just open up a business exactly the same and go into competition with the next door, you know? Yeah. But, you know the, the brand, um, the database, the clientele, the, the staff, everything that goes with that, you can't just rebuild that overnight, you know, and sometimes yeah. you know, that, that branding is worth, is the goodwill is worth some, you know, some good dollars, you know, because yeah. it is, it's all there. Yeah, because, like, I know there's a lot of people who, for instance, um, they may may buy, like I've seen in our local shopping strip, for instance, a, a charcoal chicken place a shop, you know, was doing really, really well. They sold the business. They did a slight rebrand on it um, just to, you know, freshen up the space. And within six months they just died on their ass. Um, yeah. You know, you know, the, some people think that, you know, oh, let's just introduce a, you know, new family recipe or something like that. And you've got to stay with what you've purchased, don't you? You really do to keep that goodwill going. Yeah, you shouldn't. Yeah, and that's the other thing is, you know, you don't change anything for three to six months. Get in there, get a feel for it, work out what works well, get work out where, what, what works for the business and then what doesn't and then go from there. Like, yeah, you, you still, and that's the other thing, you know, and, not not changing everything you know just go with the flow and that's why and that's why you've purchased it you know and um yeah. don't don't overcapitalize in the first 12 months don't go and buy the new you know the, the brand new chicken rotisserie because you want to be brand new you know work mm. with what you've got and then you know um make sure you know what the business needs and uh, you know have a bit of a wish list you know yeah maintain those clients and customers you know Exactly. And that's the biggest thing. It's building the rapport with your clientele, you know. Yeah. Once, you know, then if you wanted to change your recipe or something or wanted to change it, they'll tell you, but they'll still come back because the rapport's there, you know. Yeah. 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 You can't. And, and I think that's the big fatal mistake most business uh, people who buy businesses do. You know, they, they have so many great ideas. Yeah. <laughs> yep, you see, take your time to implement them. Yeah, definitely. Now, um, you touched on it before, but oh, look, an old term I used to use was stock at valuation but, or equipment at valuation. And you, you did say that, you know, it's added on to the price because it is a separate component. But what are we talking about when it comes to stock or the equipment? Yeah, so stock at valuation, um, say, is any any stock that you sell. So if you're in a, going back to the charcoal chicken, if you've got a, a fridge yeah. full of soft drinks and a freezer full of chickens and bags of chips and everything, that's classified as stock. Um, yeah. And what, what we see so often is people go, oh, I just want to do it walk in, walk out. And then that's when the arguments start because what happens is they go, hang on, when I looked at it, the freezer was full of chips and the soft drink fridge was full on a walk in, walk out. You get there and then all of a sudden the soft drink fridge is empty. There's no chicken in the in the 
in the freezer and all of a sudden yeah. there's no stock. So that's why we always really, whatever, whatever anyone does, they should be plus stock at value. Um, yeah. And you just do a stock take and pay for it. And it's fair and uh, fair and equitable, but you have to pay for the stock and that's just the way yeah. it is. So um, the plant and equipment, normally the plant and equipment comes within the, the purchase price of the business because okay. without that plant and equipment, you can't run the business. Mm. So yeah, there's quite often confusion that people and even vendors think that they're selling the plant and equipment as stock where, no, without the plant and equipment, you can't run the business. So without that, you've got nothing. But yes. stock, you keep replenishing it. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, checking for, you know, depending what business it is, but out-of-date stock or stock that, yes. you know, discontinued or anything because the purchasers won't buy that. So you need to, you know, make sure that when you're selling a business, you're on top of it. And when you're buying a business, normally the stock taker, get a professional stock taker in. It'll save you a lot of arguments at the end of the day. Yes. I'm sure it would because, you know, there's there's nothing worse. Like I know with the back of the fridge we've got, you know, there's, there's stuff in that freezer that's probably a few years old that should probably be um, discarded. And I'm sure that happens with businesses too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it happens all the time. Yep. So. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's all this stock being thrown out. So what we try and do is we'll, you know, we'll try and say, right, let's go and do a clean out. Let's, you know, run some specials, move everything out that we need to move out that's not going to be, you know, basically what they do is a stock taker will say we're only buying anything, any any good saleable product. Yes. Yeah. Fair enough. Now we've got the terminology sorted. After the break, we will talk to Phil about going through the process of buying business. listening to Real Estate Right and we have business broker Phil Mamalito from CRE Brokers explaining to us how we can buy a business. So Phil, what numbers, and I put in inverted commas, should we be looking at to determine the worth of the business? So definitely um, the profit and loss and obviously mm-hmm. COVID has made that interesting time. So depending how long they've had the business, you'd want to look at pre-COVID numbers, you'd want to look at COVID numbers in, and basically year to date. So, you know, you're anything from 2018, 2019 profit and losses right through. Um, you'd want to look at um, their best statements to compare the, what they've declared on their profit and loss matches up with their best statements. Um, and that's a good way to double check that, you know, everything is true and correct in what they're saying. And depending what they're business value is um, like in Victoria businesses up to the sale of 450,000 have to provide a section 52 um, and the section 52 is got all the profit and losses in there um, you know with their true net profit at the bottom and that's what you want to look at so um, they're the, the, the three majors would be would be that profit and losses best statements in section 52s. Sounds good so I'm just going to put a little spanner in the works here. What happens if the business is predominantly cash? Yeah, so, yeah. So this is the the issue where you know if they're not if they're not banking the cash and or they're not declaring it or anything like that, um, what yeah. actually it just affects the sale price because a business is only worth 
its value on paper. Um, so it's very hard to try and sell a business when we're going, oh, you know, we're just we're taking all this cash. Well, we can't prove it. We don't know it's there. Um, so what it does is affects the sale price. And that's what we say to a lot of businesses, you know, have an exit strategy. So that if you are going to sell a business, make sure that, you know, you plan it, you know, two years out that you start putting all the cash back in because as a as a buyer, a buyer is not going to take the cash component into consideration. And especially if they've got to borrow money from a bank or a lender or someone, they're not going to look at it. It won't be taken into account at all. Mm. Yeah. And that's probably when you see businesses starting to go, you know, card only, there's no cash involved, you know, because yeah. they're preparing themselves for that potential exit strategy. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. You quite often too, you know, you see card only, especially, you know, in situations where it's completely under management or the owners aren't there and it's just another way to eliminate theft as well. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Now, is there a golden rule about how much we, we should be paying for business? Um, just an example, when I um, split up with my ex-husband, he was trying to put some stake into my business and said that, uh, you know, a business is worth two years turnover, so I owe him one year of turnover. Um, yeah, yeah. Is that yeah, kind look- of the golden rule or not? Yeah, so well, basically what it is, is every every industry is is a little bit different but similar. So a hair, say a hairdressing salon, for argument's sake, they're about um, and half times half times net profit. So, uh, yeah, very rarely do they go on turnover. It sort of goes on net profit. So, um, and that's after the addbacks of owners, owners wages and all the all the ad backs that come in at insure um interest um mm-hmm. motor vehicle all that sort of stuff that you can say are not a part of the business but personal expenses and then so you know a motel a leasehold motel would be three and a half times net profit uh, a hotel a hotel would be two times net profit. Um, uh, so it all depends on the industry, but there's always a multiple of net profit that it normally it normally would land in. And, you know, it depends if it's, you know, how high service it is and things like that. So say a, um, a laundromat that's very high staffed where they do a lot of the ironing and the washing and the folding, you know, that's probably a two times where a complete standalone, no no staff required could possibly get up to four times because it's just a, an easy way to, to, run a, to run a business. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, my um, ex-husband had it completely wrong. Completely wrong, yeah. My lawyer was able to say, you know, how much have you contributed to the business in terms of time and labour and stuff like that, and he had no leg to stand on. So, yeah, we see see that a little bit. So, um, where you know, you know, people want it valued higher, and um, yeah, so it's always it's always interesting. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure you do. No, it does differ between a bricks and mortar type of business versus a service business, but you sort of did answer that, didn't you? Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, it's all comparable. So some people buy, like to buy leaseholds because leaseholds will have a a higher cash flow um, because you're just paying rent, not paying for a building as well. Um, So, yeah, so it's all comparable to what you're buying, whether you're buying a 
a business um, or a freehold going concern. Um, so, um, you know, the, and the yields on a freehold, um, you'd be looking at what um, a percent of rent. So, you know, it could be depending where in you could be at a, a six percent of turn six uh, percent return on investment of rent. Um, in purchasing up to 8%, depending what it is and where it's located. So unfortunately, each industry and each sort of building can be a little bit different. So, Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. How do businesses transition between the old owner and the new owner? Yeah, again, um, depending on what, what, what business and what industry, say for a hotel where there's a liquor licence, you know, that could take up to, you know, 10 to 12 weeks because you've got to transfer a liquor licence, they need to do courses, they need to get government approval. So, you know, there's the effort, more effort goes in, into the time frame goes into that. Um, like, you know, say a gaming hotel, it can take up to nine months to transfer a gaming licence. So, oh, wow. you know, yeah, so it can be where if it's just a straight lease where it's, you know, uh, you know the, the local the local charcoal chicken shop like that, that could be done in yeah. probably, you know, we always, you know, we always say six to eight weeks because if it's a leasehold, we've still got to go and get landlord approval the tenant has to be approved by the landlord to take over the business. Um, and then you've got the transfer of lease and, you know, and the other one too is if they're subject to finance, you know, finance yeah. businesses are taking so long at the moment that can take 60 days alone to get finance. But, you know, if it's a straight cash sale, you know, they can be done in that six weeks. So, you know, it could be six weeks to three months, depending on, on all the conditions of the deal. Yes. Fair enough. Um, do, for instance, the old owners sometimes, say, stay on as a paid contractor for a, a short amount of time? What we normally do, we normally do um, a seven-day assistance period before settlement and a seven-day assistance period after settlement that the, um, the the new owners will come in a week early, the old owners will stay on a week after, and then if they need any further assistance, it would normally be a paid, a paid assistance period um, unless it's agreed. Normally what we see, though, is... They might, you know, by the time they've spent a week working together, once settlement comes along, you normally find they go, yeah, look, we're right. We know what we're doing. Thanks very much. Let us just take over our new baby. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, Is it assumed that staff comes with the business or do, you know, we start talking about new contracts and stuff? Yeah, so, yeah, definitely... um, each one can be a little bit different, but nine times out of ten, they would still get a new contract from the new employee, um, okay. new employer. But, but the, um, but the, where there's, you know, we see a little bit of confusion is that they're still in the same workplace. So even though it's a different, it's a different. Um, might be a different boss or a different company that owns it. Uh, in you just got to be careful of long service leave because that would be they're still considered to be in the same workplace. So in the contract, you know, that'll all be sorted out. That you know they'll either be paid out or those entitlements will come across to the the new owner, um, so that it looks like they've got continuity of service for the to protect the staff. Yeah. What happens if the business has loans against them? Does the original owner have to pay out the loans or does the new owner acquire the loans as the new company director? Yeah, no, nine times out of ten, if there's any loans, they're paid out by the 
by the, the vendor or the owner. Um, sometimes there might be some um, higher purchase of equipment like, you know, an oven or, a, you know, a hoist the mechanics or they might be paying something off. Um, in that regard, um, there'll be a negotiation where they go, okay, well, we'll take over the repayments of the higher purchase on some of the the plant equipment um solar is a great one you see that all the time where they put solar in and they're still paying that off so they'll take over the solar payments um but yeah any like direct business loans or anything like that nine times out of ten they'll be all paid out by the by the vendor and then and sometimes see that people say i'm happy to buy a business but i want everything paid out i'm not taking any liability and so depending on how much it is i'll probably just pay if it's a small amount they'll pay out the oven or whatever they have to quite often they'll you know pay it out yep fair enough um now when buying property you can usually buy uh, use a buyer's advocate are there business broker advocates as well or should we just rely on our accountant to be guiding us on the business purchase yeah no we certainly do a lot of buyers advocacy as well we get approached whether you know someone might just want a specific business and we'll go and door knock it and um you know work with the um the purchaser um work for them to get it acquired and go over the numbers, do an appraisal, work out what the business is worth and, yeah, do all that with the buyer. So, no, it's certainly exactly the same. Um, yeah, we do, it all, we do it quite often as well. We can work both ways. Yeah, beautiful. Now, if you want to keep your business sale quiet, how can you go about that? Yeah, look, this is a, this is a, a lot of vendors will ring and say, like, I want to sell my business, but I want to keep it quiet. You know, it's so hard to sell a secret. And their thing is we don't want to lose staff. We don't want to, you know, upset our customers. But it's very hard to sell a secret. And we always say, well, be upfront with the staff. Tell them that, you know, you're, you're going to be thinking of selling um, and say that, you know, whoever buys it is still going to require staff. No one's going to have a full staff that they're going to be able to bring with them you know so you need to be up front with the staff and you know and let them know that they're still going to be required and make them feel secure um there's nothing worse than them finding out you know third hand that you know the business is on the market because it eventually always gets out anyway so um you know and you're not giving yourself the best option to get your best price by putting it right out there so you know it's just one thing that we stress to a lot of businesses you know they, they think they need to sell it, you know, very quietly, but, you know, you're doing yourself a disservice in not giving it the best option to get the best buyer to get the best price and, you know, yeah. being up front with the staff. Yeah. And that goes with property too. How many people go off market and they, you know, oh. have they got the best price for their property? You haven't given, you haven't tested the market to find out. Exactly right. Yep, spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is there anything else we should know about buying a business? No, I think we've covered a lot today. Uh, so, yeah, we have. Thank you. No worries. Yeah. Thanks. No, so thanks so much, Phil, um, for coming on to the Real Estate Right podcast. Now, if our listeners want to get in contact with you to help you help them with a career change by buying a business, how can they get in contact with you? Yeah, they can get in touch with me. Find me on the website on www.crebrokers.com. And, yeah, we can help you out. You can send an inquiry through there and, yeah. Yep, beautiful. Thank you so much. And we'll also have all your details in our show notes and on our social media. So 
um, thanks again, Phil. No worries, and thank you very much for the opportunity for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, now, next week we have our next case study with COVID and the new residential tenancy laws kicking many landlords out of the real estate market and the onsurge of rental properties being turned into short-stay accommodation. There's a definite shortage of quality rental properties on the market, pushing rental prices up and many people homeless. Stephanie Hayes comes onto the show to explain to us her journey of applying for many properties to rent and also missing out. So to hear her story on how Stephanie succeeded in getting a rental property, don't miss next week. Real Estate Right is produced by Real Copyright, one of Melbourne's leading real estate copywriting companies and is written, hosted and produced by me, Sue Langada with the support of my production and social media assistant, Lisa Fisher. All information given on this podcast is a guide only and delivered to help you understand the intricacies that can happen in real estate. We recommend that you get professional advice that is designed for your own personal circumstances. We would like to thank Podbean for hosting this podcast, Premium Beat for their music, Francis Morello for his voiceover and Zoom for the recording. If you have a real estate story that is inspiring or a great how-to tip, please contact Lisa on 5977-889 to find out how you can be a guest on Real Estate Right in 2022. If you would like to know more about our copywriting services, please email Lisa at orders at realcopyright.com.au. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Right. It's where buyers, sellers, renters and investors get their real estate right. Right.